The Podberg Podcast has a theme song. Hello and welcome back to Podberg, episode two. Jesus, do I have to fake this enthusiasm? For an hour. Wow. Um, hey guys, it's Max. This is Podberg. I hope you liked the new theme song, uh, courtesy of Podberg listener Dylan Foley, uh, who perhaps you know from Facebook as Maldoror Maldoror. Who knows? I don't know who his Facebook friends are. Truth is, is I'm a little beat up right now. I am in Wisconsin. And it is 8.20 a.m. on a Tuesday. I am in exotic Waukesha, Wisconsin. Waukesha. Why am I there? Here. Good question. Well, I have a show. Today is a travel day for me. I am playing the University of Wisconsin in Waukesha, and it was a uh, long, difficult series of flights that lasted all day that brought me here and I'm looking out the window of this hotel and I see not the things you'd expect in Wisconsin. I don't see any cheese or any collective bargaining rights and I was hoping to see at least one of those two things on this trip. And it's looking like I'm going to be 50% disappointed. Today's show, hopefully, will make up for it. Notice I said today and not tonight. This is going to be interesting. This is a 12 noon show. 12 p.m. in the school's cafetorium. Uh, I'm excited about it. I think that this has all the makeups of a successful comedy performance. Uh, no, I, sh I'm, I just woke up in a fussy mood, you guys. I actually am pretty excited about this show. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not in that great of a mood because I had a lot of trouble masturbating last night. It's my podcast, I'm gonna talk about it. I'm in a strange hotel. It's not the best hotel. Uh, it has a, a number in it. That's as close to specific as I'll be with you. The name of the hotel has a number, and that number is between seven and nine. Um, so you do that math. Uh, I had trouble masturbating. Why? Why did I have trouble masturbating? Was it a mental thing? Was it because I was traveling and, uh, you know, maybe I'm just out of my element or I'm zoned or maybe, you know, but hey, I've, I've, I've come in worse circumstances than what just happened. Uh, but I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, you got yourself like a really good series of tabs open and you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm going to start with this. And then when this fucking guy starts doing that thing, I'm going to stop watching this tab and switch over to her. Oh, she's getting gross. I'm going to switch tabs again. Hey, she's not gross. Okay. Ooh, nice angle that the cameraman chose there. Whoa, she has braces. Nope. Time to switch tabs again. And that kept happening, and I was so exhausted that 
I just was like that that thing where there's a difference between have if you're a male at least there's a difference between having an orgasm and coming like ejaculating and an orgasm are not necessarily the same behavior and it is beyond frustrating when one happens without the other when you are physically finished with the physical act of fucking yourself, but mentally you just wish you would cuddle. Or you, you just wish, like, hey, I wish I felt this more than I'm feeling this. It's like, oh, well, that was... You know what it's like? It's like when you come, but you're not fully erect. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this on the record now as if it's, like, a major facet of my life. And it's not, but it's something that happens every now and then to guys, generally. And if there's a guy who is like, what? Max Goldberg on Podberg said that, like, sometimes you can... Like, and he's not saying, yeah, you know, that happens maybe couple times a month and it's an aggregate thing it's a statistical inevitability with the amount of times that i masturbate in say a month like did you ever think about that how many times do you jerk off in a month do those numbers and you'll realize that eventually you're gonna have an incredible orgasm eventually and you're gonna have a really shitty fucking wakesha Super 8 Wisconsin fucking no collective bargaining rights orgasm. I feel like my cock got union busted. That's what I feel like right now. Is that a stretch? Is that a stretch for the joke? I'm just trying to spew facts here. Um, that You know what part of the problem I think was too? And again, this is making me sound like an old fucking man. Um, I am 26 uh, vital years old. Uh, but I have a really shitty back right now. Um, it's true, and it was because of one of the dumbest self-inflicted injuries I've ever had. And if those of you, those of you who know me, who or at least have followed me online, know that I am great at being fucking dumb and telling a story about it uh, with my body. Uh, I, this was the second worst self-inflicted injury that has ever occurred in my life. Uh, this is number two. I'm gonna tell you briefly since I'm numbering things three of those stories. Number one, number two, and number three in reverse order. And then I'm going to get into the second guest of Podberg, uh, Ben Shane, who is a fascinating individual. But first, first time, simple story. I think I was 15 years old. I jump up to do... I'm actually going to reenact it while I'm telling the story. I'm going to back away from this mic a little bit in my shitty hotel room. Uh, I jump up and I do a... Uh, uh, like an air guitar, like arm sweep, like arm arc thing, like as if I'm about to jump and get the like closing note of the final song, right? I'm just like fucking around. And I swing my arm around and I, it's my right hand and I lift my left knee. I rocket my hand around and I jam my finger into my own knee and I break my finger. And that's not a story you can tell people. And uh, I just did. Now this story was even dumber uh, the apartment that I'm living in back in Los Angeles, which is warmer than here. It is 18 degrees outside. Uh, anyway, it, it came with a barbell. Not like a bench, not a workout facility, but a barbell. Someone left a bar with a couple weights on it in the apartment and then got the hell out of town. 
I don't know if the bar was evidence in some crime. I don't know if there was a reason for him to leave it. I just know that it was there, and I was like, fuck it. I'll save, like, 40, 50 bucks a month on a gym membership. I'll just use this bar in this apartment that I'm alone in right now, uh, and I'm going to take this moment to feel really good about myself. So I take this bar, and I take, like, a bench that's a bench to an actual table. Like It's almost like a like a picnic bench, and I put the bench out, and I pick up the barbell, and I'm lifting, and I'm using good form. I extend completely without locking my elbows. I bring the barbell back down to my chest without letting the pressure of the bar, you know, affect my lungs or whatever the hell you're supposed to do. And I'm doing great. I get like 20, 25 uh, reps, short for repetitions, on this barbell. And then I'm like, oh, shit. Where do I put this barbell? Like, with an actual bench, you have a place to put the thing. You put it right above your face, which, by the way, is always disconcerting. Especially if there's, like, another dude's balls in your face, like, spotting you. But I didn't have the dude's balls to help me. I didn't have the, 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 like, the, the bench holders. I don't know. I'm obviously not a gym guy. Uh, so I'm like, fuck, what do I do? And I have this thing stuck up and you know, I'm reasonably spent at this time. I just lifted a bunch of weights. So I put it gently down my chest and what I can only describe as Al Bundy style, I roll the thing like down my abs and then I get to like the pivot point of my hips and I figure, you know what, I'll just lift my legs and sort of rock myself up and forward. And I do that and nothing hurts yet. And then I stand up Still doing fine, feeling like I hacked the gym. And then I take two steps and I'm like, oh fuck, I am 45 years old. What just happened? Uh, I was in bed for the next day and a half, fucking drinking coconut water in an attempt to hydrate as if that would help the, the, the like dislocation of three discs in my spine. Anyway, so that's time number two, and I don't know, maybe I couldn't sleep well, and that's why I had orgasmic troubles. Uh, but the probably my, my first favorite story of self-injury, and granted, this one is a little less recent, uh, a little less recent than affecting me as of last night, but uh, I don't know if you know much about my sexual history outside of the last few minutes of listening to this, but I'd say I've done pretty well in my time. Uh, there was a point in college where for a few months I was dating a yoga instructor, which, I mean, I'm sure you get why that's awesome. Uh, so it was a long distance thing. Uh, you know, a frequent visit long distance thing, but suffice it to say we couldn't do it all the time. So she comes and visits one weekend and it's college and you do that thing where you kick your roommate out for the weekend and you uh, you live off of nothing but pizza and pancakes and other things that you can slide under the door because you are not fucking leaving. All you are doing is attacking the other person's sexual sense of self that's still developing. And you are just like, pow, pow, and you're doing your thing. And this is a yoga instructor, which means she's flexible, which means she has a sense of physical skill she's developed. And we're doing our thing, and we're doing, uh, I, I believe we transition into a doggy-style procedure, which it, procedure? Jesus Christ, I have to get out of Wisconsin. I feel like I'm turning in to the lamest person. Not that Wisconsin's lame, but just, 
I don't know. I'm looking at a lot of open space here and I'm uninspired. And meanwhile, I'm talking about fucking a yoga instructor. Like, what's happening? Anyway, I am fucking this yoga instructor and I'm bent her over my roommate's desk. I'm a little bit of a douchebag, but you go in the moment when you do these things. Like, you just have to follow your instincts, you know? So I'm doing it and it's going really well. And she was the, China, the, the, the kind of chick who was... Um, not sexually aggressive, but subtly sexually demanding. Like, she'd, you know, say things like harder. And, you know, harder's a good thing to hear. That's encouraging. Sure, I'll go harder. But then she says things like deeper. And it's like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I can, I can get deep. I can do it. I can get up in it. But there's a point with any human male... And this is just a reasonable thing where there's an end to your penis. Like, I know a lot of guys don't want to admit that, that you have reached uh, a limit to how long your penis is. And while I'd say I have plenty to offer, uh, you know, this girl apparently had a humongous vagina. I don't, is that classless to say? Possibly. But uh, I was working hard at that point. I was getting the job uh, done to the best of my ability. In fact, better than the best of my ability. Because about 10, 15 minutes into a series of thrusts I can only recall as athletic, uh, there was a slight little tug. And I'm like, that's odd. And then we both come and pass out, and then the next day, I'm like, what was that? And I feel down, and, oh shit, Max, some people, after sex, bad things happen. Sometimes you get pregnant. Nope, that's not what a tug is. I don't have that. Then, oh, some people have a transmitted uh, disease of some kind. Nope, not me, clean as a whistle. That's not what happened. What happened to Max from fucking a yoga instructor? Severe hernia. Major hernia. What is a hernia? A hernia is when you are thrusting a fucking yoga instructor so vigorously that your intestines rip through the muscle wall of your abdomen. Like, you're fucking so hard, you literally are, are tearing yourself apart. And that's what happened to me. And I had to get, like, rushed to the hospital, and I needed major invasive surgery, and I needed two weeks of recovery time in a fucking hospital bed, and I needed, like, major medication, and here's a memory, here's a memory for you. Hey, if you have a Jewish mother, like I do, who comes out and visits you in college because, on one hand, like, you know, be fruitful and multiply, right? Like, hey, you just fucked someone, honey. Let's high-five about it, I guess, is sort of a Jewish mother supportive thing to do. But on the other hand, she's got this, like, oh, you know, don't hurt my boy chick kind of vibe. So she's visiting me in the hospital with a conflicted sense of feeling, of emotion about the whole situation, which is understandable. And she's sitting there, and I'm sort of passed out on Vicodin or Percocet or some other recover from a four-inch scar type thing, and uh, my the, the girlfriend at the time is sitting there with me in the hospital bed with my mom there uh, while I am barely conscious, and my mom knows. 
this isn't like a wasp family. I didn't try to fake anything like, oh, I fell down some stairs and got a hernia. No, mom, I was fucking this yoga instructor. Um, so I'm sort of passed out at the time, though. And they're both, I kind of sort of come to half consciousness and they're both there. And this is the conversation I wake up to that they're in the middle of. Picture this. The, the My mom is sort of like, so, you really like him, huh? Yeah? And then the girl is like, Yes, I do, and I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And I'm just picturing in my head, like, the completion of that sentence. Like, what is it that you're sorry for? Are you sorry that you almost broke my roommate's laptop, like, fist-pounding it, trying to give me a sense of friction? Like, is that what you're sorry? Is that what you're apologizing to my mother for? Does my mother require my sexual past to apologize to her? Is that where the therapy comes from? Anyway, fucking, she's doing that. And then there's a pause. There's an awkward pause. Well, for me, it was a very awkward pause. But I imagine for them, it was at least a minorly awkward pause. Where she mul she mulls over this information. She's like... She heard the girlfriend say, okay, uh, you're sorry. There's a pause where my mom thought about it. Trying to be productive, trying to not get in the way of a sexual future. And she says, after a moment, sweetie, you're just, you're going to have to switch to blowjobs. And that's when I tried, the hardest I've ever tried, to wake up. That was, and I mean that in every sense of the word. There was me trying to wake up, literally, saying like, Oh, get, I have to stop this conversation from happening. This cannot be happening right now. Trying to, like, shake the drugs out of my brain. And But then there's the also kind of, kind of waking up of like, you know what? Maybe this is a bad dream. Maybe this is the nightmare where it starts out where, hey, everything's going awesome and you're fucking a yoga instructor. And then it ends with her apologizing to your mother in a hospital bed you're sitting in. Like, doesn't that sound nightmarish? Anyway, those are the three times um, that are the best stories of ways I have... Uh, hurt my own self. And I'm going to count that as hurting my own self, because in doggy style, unless you're dealing with a mega power bottom, uh, you know, you're the one doing the work. And I enjoy doing the work, but in this case, uh, I didn't. And it all worked out for the best, because she ended up being a special kind of crazy. My, my guest for the second episode of Podberg uh, is a dude named Ben Shane. Ben Shane, you probably have not heard of him. He is a behind-the-scenes guy. And he's a young guy. He's 21 years old. And uh, I, I wanted to talk to him because, as you know, Podberg is about my personal struggle between business and art. It's about how I continue to go through the world as a creatively productive person, doing things out of the love of doing them, meaning art, meaning performance and writing and web video and, and comedy, stand-up comedy unquestionably an art form, but at the same time, making money. And how do you rectify the two of those things? That's a ethically precarious line to walk. And that's what this podcast is about. I'm not going to get too much into that here. I interviewed Nabil Afsar last time, who 
as I mentioned, thoroughly committed to the artistic lifestyle. Ben Shane is not that person. Ben Shane is a young person who has made the early decision of, you know what? Fuck it. I am going to feed the beast of consumerism, um, and I am going to profit off of art. I am not going to create art necessarily, but I'm going to surround myself with people who do, and I'm going to make money off of them. Now, how does he do that? Ben has created a very successful... And I mean this in terms of, like, real numbers. This is, like, adult living wage money. He has created a ring of advertising for niche fan sites online. So suppose you like Harry Potter. Maybe you'll go to one of a few Harry Potter fan community sites that are not officially endorsed by J.K. Rowling or whoever the film company was that put out Harry Potter. I think it was Warner Brothers. I'm not sure. Uh, it has nothing to do with them, but it just has to do with the fans. Like, it's just somewhere where people who are, say, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, or Waukesha, can be like, ooh, I love Harry Potter. Wasn't this part the greatest part of that book? And then they'll meet six other people online who say, yes, it was. Additionally, here's what I think was another good part. And then they'll post that, and maybe they'll watch videos, or maybe they'll listen to a podcast. And when they do that, Ben's like, hey, there's a shit ton of people doing this. Um, I'm going to find an advertiser, and I'm going to put ads up, banner ads, up on this website. And I am going to have my, maybe, Facebook statuses and tweets and mailing list stuff. I'm going to append ads to that. And as the site grows to a few thousand users who regularly post, I'm going to get, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of page impressions. And I'm going to profit off of each one of these people who are just here for legitimate enthusiasm for an innocent thing. And then Ben's like, and, you know, he's not alone in this. A lot of people do this. Then it was like, oh, you know what's great besides Harry Potter? Twilight. I'm going to create or recruit a similar type of site. And you know what else is great? Maybe just the actors from these movies and these books or just the characters. And there'll be a site about that. And people will post there. And I'm going to put ads up on all these. And I'm going to put ads up on, you know, maybe even a couple dozen sites. Maybe it's just a few sites. But the point is he's created an empire for himself where... If you like something and you go to a website and there's a banner ad and you either see it or click it and you consider yourself a niche fan, like nerd, there's a good chance you paid his rent. Uh, and it fascinates me. I I'm fascinated by Ben because like I said, he's 21. He's a young dude and he is employing people right now. Uh, he is creating jobs in the tail end of the Great Recession. And uh, he's, you know, there's obviously, I don't have to get into it. I'm sure you understand that there are ethical conflicts just in the advertising and marketing industries in general, let alone the oftentimes unscrupulous, certainly unregulated, and obviously novel world of web advertising. And, you know, Ben taught himself how to do it. He taught himself the technical end. He taught himself how to code in several languages. He taught himself 
about his user base. This is something, he's 21 now, and he's been doing this for about half a decade. So, like, when you were 16 and great at jerking off, uh, Ben, well, I'm sure he also was great at jerking off, uh, you know, he was also creating a business for himself that is now sustaining, uh, and he'll get into this maybe a little bit, like a good chunk of his family. Uh, this was an important podcast for him this recording of it, uh, I outed Ben Shane as a weed smoker. He has refused to admit it. I have, sm- I mean, he's, I've smoked with him many times. He's great at weed, and it was such a shame that he felt like he needed to hide it. Uh, he'll talk about that. He talks about other drugs as well. He talks about his upbringing in Kansas, uh, stealing, or not maybe him, but, uh, people he knows, close contemporaries of his who were not out creating web rings. What were they doing? They were stealing ammonia tanks from farms in Kansas so that they could make meth. And Ben was like, I don't want to be a part of that. I want a better life. Like, my favorite quote from this interview, and I'm just going to say this quote because it's worth isolating, and then we're going to get into it here. Uh, I wrote it down because it was great. Quote, From Ben Shane, all the kids in my class were cousins, and then I found out their parents were cousins. I'm going to let that sink in for a second about Ben's Kansas upbringing, and then we're going to talk about him and his successes in Los Angeles and how he feels about the struggle between business and art. This is Podberg, and here we go, Ben Shane. Hey Ben. Hey Max. First of all, how this is a question that's always been bugging me is how uh how, how do you pronounce your last name? Um it's pronounced Shane. Shane. Okay. Yeah. Because I felt like such a prank saying like scone or, or skion yeah. or ski, like I really showin. Showin exactly, which that almost sounds Jewish. It's somewhere between like Cohen and Shofar, which is maybe hugely Jewish. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm, I'm actually German, so I'm on the other side. Oh, yikes. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't realize there were still signs. Oh. <laughs> this interview just got so real. <laughs> um, I shouldn't probably drink this while I'm uh, talking. I have to compliment you on the record here for having for living in a building with the best hot cocoa machine I've yeah, it's seen. quite delicious. This, this, you, where you live, what's the name of this? Actually, I don't know if we should say what the name of the building is, but the, it's one of the Avalon. Okay. Buildings. Yeah. It's in, it's on the, the, the Miracle Mile area of Hollywood. And it's, it's like a, how do you describe it? It's like a, it, it almost feels like I go to Club Med when I'm at your place. <laughs> like there's, yeah. There's kind of a spa hotel ish feel to it, I guess. Right. Um, they market themselves as a luxury living. I mean, that's what the sign says in the hallway. That's, do you, does, do you, I, I think it lives up to it, but you're the one actually doing it. Do you, does it, is well, it, I mean, I mean, the coffee machine, the, the hot chocolate is what sold me on the place. It was the, <laughs> it was, the, it was what closed the deal, you know? So how long have you been living in Los Angeles now? Uh, I moved here, uh, actually LA, LA in October. 
I've lived living in Southern California since uh, October of 2009. So okay, over a year. And you lived in Kansas before then. Um, actually, I was at I was at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. In Indiana for a couple years. And okay. Prior to that, I was in Kansas. Okay. So. Cool. Cool. So okay. Gotcha. So what did you study at Notre Dame? I was studying uh, sociology and psychology. High school freshman, 2003, and you were like, I got a, I like Harry Potter. So, well, you started as a fan of Harry Potter, I assume, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I hated Harry Potter initially, and then, <clears throat> you know, somebody suggested that I, you know, really try it out. So I did, and then I, I was always on the computer, and I kind of <laughs> coupled my interests. So. Okay, meaning there were places online you would go to, like, talk about Harry Potter or stuff like that? Or... Yeah, I mean, I wasn't so much in the talking about it. That I, I mean, I saw there were Harry Potter fan websites, and then I started um, I, start, I started learning how to code websites okay. as a result, because I wanted to make my own. Okay, and this had nothing to do with Notre Dame learning to code, like the computer science stuff? No, like, this no. was just hobby, you were just like... Was there something specific you wanted to build, or you just were interested in coding in general? Or I mean, I, I was trying to, you know make a Harry Potter site, but I mean, I was interested. I, I, you know, I always wondered how do they actually do this website stuff? Like how do they make the site lurk, look a certain way? And yeah. And then I, my curiosity got the best of me in a good way. So. Okay. When you were about 15 or so, this is when this started kicking in. Um, yeah. 14, 13, 14. Oh, so you were, you were a freshman. You were early as a freshman, 13, 14 then, right? That's... Yeah. I was 13. I turned 14 my freshman year. Okay. At like August. So Okay, skip a grade or how's that work? The... Um, I'm just really young for my age. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. So okay, so you do that. So then how did that turn into like this this Harry Potter empire? Because so many people I know, like you know I know Alex Carpenter of Reams Lupins and stuff like that. Like everyone jumped on um it seemed like Harry Potter uniquely to Harry Potter, I feel like, turned into like a not just a, a fandom, but a commodity, like so quickly. People were like, wow, we can really have a community built around this and like walk away with cash, you know? Like, <laughs> like how, how did, how did it kick in? Like, that was a significant, like, you know, you did well off of that, you know? So like, how did that happen? How'd you, what was the first step there? Um, I would say the first step would be, Okay, so we started. We started. I started being on this podcast, MuggleCast. Um, your this was your podcast. Well, this is um, Andrew Sims and I started this podcast, <laughs> and we're actually using his studio right, right now to record this. Um, yeah, we uh, started uh, talking about Harry Potter. Um, uh, we had a staff forum back then, and we were on we were on the MuggleNet staff, but we weren't getting paid at the time. Okay, so this was purely for. <laughs> This is purely out of passion for now, Harry Potter. For, for people who are not Harry Potter fans, maybe what's MuggleNet? What is that exactly? Okay, yeah, MuggleNet's a Harry Potter fan website. That's it's the most popular fan resource for Harry Potter. Um, it was started in '99, and yeah, it's been around for a while. So. Okay, so it's like a, it's like a bulletin board kind of thing, and there's like a blog, and there's like a mailing list. Yeah, it's a, a, a nice little community podcast, right? That, yeah. that kind of thing. Okay, okay, go ahead. So. Um, yeah, on, on our staff forums, uh, someone suggested that, like, you know, this is a time when the, I, like, iTunes was really starting to catch and, um, this whole podcast thing started to, started to come about. And someone said, we should do a podcast about Harry Potter. Well, we had be, we had been, uh, doing the whole Skype thing where it was like, oh, we're all three of us are in like 
three different locations and we can just sit here online while we're, you know, surfing the web and like every once in a while talk shit to each other and, you <laughs> know, like gaming, but like with a browser. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, just have, just have a good time chilling. And then we said, Hey, well, you know, we could be productive here. And we started, you know, we, you know, back then we had no idea what we were doing. We bought some microphones and, you know, we opened up, uh, a program called Hot Recorder that I'm not even sure if it even exists anymore. <laughs> okay. um, and, and we hit record, and that was the first episode of MuggleCast. And you were all, where, what were the three locations that you? Um, I was in Kansas. Uh, Andrew was in New Jersey, and this other guy, Kevin Steck, was in Connecticut. And I was, I was 15 at the time. Okay. And we were approached by um, a company called Fruitcast. A few episodes in. <laughs> red flag name. Red flag. Okay. It's not like it sounds. Okay. Um, um, yeah, we were approached by Fruitcast, and uh, they're, they're a podcast advertising network. So, you know, it comes with the territory. You have a new form of media. You're, of course, going to have right. a new form of advertising. And probably porn. Yeah. Those are the two things immediately are... <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Fruitcast comes to us and they say, you know, we can make like, you know, we started measuring how many downloads we were getting for our show. And they said, you know, we can get you X amount of dollars for, for each thousand downloads. And we started running some calculations, you know, and in our little, uh, teenage minds, we were like, whoa, <laughs> wow, we're going to be rich, you know, and I, I remember I was working a programming job. Ended at, up not being so funny, you know, like, <laughs> well, I, I mean, we didn't end up, like, honestly, we didn't end up making as much as we thought, as the Fruitcast guys told us we're going to make, because, you know, we were, we were young and naive and not really businessmen at that point, so... Um, how, we, how we didn't realize, you're, tw you're 21 now. Yeah. Okay, right. I didn't realize that, you know, people are going to, a lot of people, um, over promise and under deliver, you know, over promise to get you into the deal. And it's good to learn that early. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, that's what Fruitcast was doing. But, um, Fruitcast would never actually made us a dollar. Um, we, we met Mark McCreary of a uh, pod track and, uh, Andrew and I, we would, we would be on a conference call with this guy, like all hours of the day. He'd be calling us all the time. And, um, this was, he was kind of a, he was kind of an upstart at the time. And yeah, he'd be just ringing us all the time. And then he ended up getting like a big podcast network, uh, the, this week in tech. And you know, they make, oh, that, they make millions like over there. iTunes all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but yeah, then we, you know, started making a little bit of money off the podcast. And then, um, the guy who was running the website, he went off to college. So, um, we, we had negotiated to start being paid. For, from the advertising revenue from the actual site itself. And that was the beginning. And, you know, at first, you know, it was, we were getting paid like. So ownership basically of the company in the sense, like, like a percentage of the revenue was yours, right? Like, um, <laughs> like, I mean, not like specifically. Um, I mean, we were paid salaries pretty much. Okay. And, you know, um, but, but we had our own side gigs going mm -hmm. with, uh, MuggleCast and, um, all that. Now, had MuggleCast taken off at this point? Was it as? Oh yeah, MuggleCast was an instant hit, and it was funny because when we were talking about doing a podcast, a lot of the people in our staff were, were you know, like at the time we had a much bigger staff and a lot of the people who aren't even around today, but they they were saying, "Oh, this is a terrible idea. This is never gonna this is never gonna work." Like, who wants to listen to people like? 
kids talk about Harry Potter, but and that's what so Muggle the download was basically like the four of you just talking about Harry Potter shit for like an hour, right? Something yeah. like that. And how often would it get released? Uh, weekly. Weekly. Okay. And that went on. That's been going on for how long so far? Well, uh, wow, five years, oh, five and a half. Wow, five and a half years. But I mean, the, the last year and a half or so, it's gone to like biweekly. Okay. Um, I mean, like twice a week or no, one, uh, twice a, a month, twice a month, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. So biweekly, the, biweekly screws me up. Buy anything screws. Well, well, not buy anything, but buy, <laughs> <laughs> but the the bi biweekly always throws me because sometimes it's twice in a week, and sometimes that means twice in a month because it's every it can, other week. It can week. mean both. It can okay. Like the definition, it can mean both depending on the context, depending right. on what you want it to mean. Right. So. And today we want it to mean. Twice a month. Twice a month. Uh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. So that happens, and then you're like, you know, screw these guys. I can do this on my own, kind of thing. Or like, how did? Because then that became your right. Because you started your own thing after that, or you're still working with right. Them now. Well, um, okay. So I started managing the advertising for MuggleNet. Okay. Um, I saw the potential in doing things differently with the advertising and then testing out new methods to try to make the site more money. And I had enormous success doing it. Um, so, so what does that mean? Like banner ads and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, banner right? ads, like the the things that, you know, um, interrupt your user experiences. <laughs> okay, God. So think, okay, think well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, maybe, this, maybe that's a good segue then. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel um, that in some sense your job is to degrade the quality of someone's experience? You know what I mean? Because you, you're profiting off of someone's distraction from the reason they're trying. You know what I mean? Like does that have, – have, have you ever in the course of these five years had um i don't know an ethical conflict have you thought of it as maybe like have you thought of it in those terms at all um i don't see it i don't see it as i mean there, there's a line um i don't see it as degrading the quality i actually see it as increasing the quality of the site because by setting these sites up with profitable revenue schemes then they will be able to pay more staff to make the site better pay programmers to develop new features on the site all things that they couldn't do without the ads. Now, you know, the ads may annoy the visitors, but the alternative is to have no content at all or for the content to be behind some type of paywall where you have to actually get out your credit card, which nobody wants to do. So, okay, so you don't think it kills the user experience, right? You think it adds to it. Cause in, and I, I get what you're saying because in a way, like, okay, well, if the ads are really relevant and targeted, like, the, yeah. the, you could be really expanding the person's user experience also, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so then... Then, how, so how do you get around it in a way to make it feel subtle enough so that the people aren't um, affected by it? Because oftentimes, like web ads can be so invasive, you know what I mean? Like, and so how? Do, what are some of the things that you do to make it like easier for people? Um, you, you know, if you have a really invasive ad, like something that expands to take up the whole screen, uh -huh. those are obviously going to pay the most. But you need to have a close button mm -hmm. on that. Okay. Um, Another thing is limiting the frequency. You you can't have that ad, an ad like that, showing up on every single page. Um, so I mean, with particular, like I, I think everyone has become they call it banner blindness. People have become desensitized to a lot of these ads because mm -hmm. a lot of them are all the same size and shape. So people they kind of gloss over them, anyways. Um, so I mean, for like the traditional banner ad formats that you see on most sites. Um, 
I don't, I'm not really worried about those <clears throat> people getting upset about those. Cause I think they're so used to them. Right. But with new, like super invasive formats that, you know, provide much greater value to the advertiser, but as a result, um, lessen the user experience a little bit. Those have to be, you know, what's called frequency capped. You can't, they get, the visitor only gets that one time. Right. So. Um, how, as a content maker, can you optimize your content in a way so that ads um, don't take away from the user experience in, in any way? Because they add to it in a lot of ways, but they also um, take away from the intended content, you know? So, like, how, how as a content maker, can, can you um, work around needing ads, for example? Like, how do you make it really work? Um, I mean, you can't really work... When you say work around needing ads, what do you mean? Well, like, uh, for example... Um, a website will need advertising, right? Because that way they can pay the staff, they can do all that stuff that you were talking about. But at the same time, they want the ads to be there as minimally as possible, you know? So, like, what are ways that you can still put your content first, in a way, in the user's experience? So that even though they technically are leading to that ad impression, they're, they're still also, like, most valuable to the content creator, you know what I mean? Like, like So how do you, like, strike a balance and not piss off your your users yeah exactly um i mean i don't know what you can really do to your content in a sense but what you can do with your advertisements is you just make sure to filter out any advertisement that's going to detract from the user experience you know things like gambling alcohol dating websites those are things that you generally do not want on a family-friendly website right okay so a lot of the like with my company um, we filter out all those types of ads and, you know, cause you know, a, a site, a site will lose all of its value. A content creator will lose all of their value if they get to, if they, if they go too over the top with their advertising, because then their audience will no longer trust them. And at that point, no, what, what do you mean they won't trust them? Like, what do you, what is it? That's an, it's an interesting way to put it, you know? Like, what, what does that mean when an audience stops trusting the content provider? Okay. Well, if you're, if you're putting your advertisements first and doing a bunch of cheap tricks to make a lot of money, you know, lots of pop unders, lots of auto playing sound ads, things like that, people are not dumb. They are going to catch on to those things and they, it's like, you know, imagine if a, a newscaster or somebody that you like that you real like you it dawned on you that that they were doing it all just for the money, you know, and you you kept and they kept throwing it in your face, like you know, if Anderson Cooper was sitting there on CNN and every three seconds he was being like, "Buy Lysol today," you know, or <laughs> something like that. After, right. After right. a while, people would be like, like. F this guy, I don't care what else he has to say because he's already screwed up his reputation. So yeah. same way with like a, a website. He's just Lysol's stool pigeon. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining Anderson Cooper selling out to Lysol. <laughs> like what a weird twist that would be. He's a Vanderbilt, right? Like Yeah. <laughs> just Yeah, they uh they disown me. I'm gonna kinda work for Lysol now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's go back to the chronology here. So how so you went from MuggleNet and being like ad purchasing for MuggleNet to to doing it for other sites, right? Like you yeah. did you create these other sites or did you um like okay, No. Okay. So how so tell me about that. So I went out and I recruited these other sites. I ah. I you know, looked for whatever the hottest uh fans websites were at the time 
And, and then I go. So it's out. like, what's that? Like Twilight, I, Harry Potter, um, fame, like actors like, you know, Robert Pattinson, you know, um, fantasy book series, you know, True Blood, um, Glee. Glee. Know, wow. You know, I didn't see, it. I didn't expect Glee. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have to personally like these, <laughs> each of these things. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, I guess that, like, that's kind of telling, um, uh, of the way I'm looking at, like, this business. Sure. It, it is, it is a business, but, um, I think one could argue that business, um, if you do business right, it is art. Tell me more. Tell me about that. That's an interesting, that's it, cause I, I briefly talked in the Beal about that. So tell me, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I think, uh, you can, like you can create a product or do provide a service or do something that, that fills a need that, and do it in a very classy and great manner. And, and there's, I don't think there should be any shame in profiting from, from doing what you love. Um, I think when you get to the point where you're doing something that you really don't like doing and you just do it because it's paying you money, then at that point you're starting to lose your soul. But, right. Sure. Okay. So you do understand the stakes I'm implying that it's like that sometimes, see that I bring it up because I, I am so neurotic about the idea of losing what little control I have over my message to my audience. Cause the, the beautiful thing about working online and working in live shows is that I can immediately get the content to the people who it's intended for. There's not like a lot of middle channels, you know, I can just like deliver. So having that be, uh, um, diluted in any way, um, is a scary thought, you know, that even like the little bit of the timeshare of like brought to you by Lysol, you know, like whatever it is, like, um, I mean, that's why, that's why you need to, uh, make sure that you're only stay associated with reputable, reputable brands. It's the same reason why uh, Accenture, the consulting company dropped Tiger Woods after his infidelity scandals, you know? Okay. Okay. Because they couldn't sell, uh, whatever with him anymore. Well, yeah, because, you know, having before, before the scandal, Tiger Woods was very respected. So... If you're, if you're taking a, a brand that's also respected and you are respected and you put those together, you can compound your respect, I would say. And that's like the ideal in online advertising. Um, create a bigger pie. Right. right. But if you, if you sell out and you have unrelevant things that are not relevant, people will start to notice. And then, you know, it, it you know, it makes you look like you're doing it for the money. Right. Which, so authenticity is, a, you're saying as a given, like people need authenticity in their content. Like they need to feel like it's not just for them. There's a difference right. between art and commerce is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, cause, because a lot of these people, like you, you start off like, you know, a musician. Okay. They start off producing, like a lot of times people will say a musician's earlier work is their most pure and most expressive and most real because that's before they hit it big, you know, and they had everything in the world and you know, the, so, um, so you need to be, you need to always remember why you started doing what you were doing in the first place and right. not, and not lose sight of that. Because if you do, then, you know, you get too caught up in like driving revenue or whatever, then your content's going to suffer and ultimately you'll fail. Right. 
Yeah, and I guess that's so, that's the fear. So I get you just kind of only learn that through experience, I guess, right? There's not like are there lessons you can learn from like historically? Like you can like point to one thing and say like that was a big lesson. Like I should have done that. Like I do this differently now because of this one time. Like do you have any disasters along the way? Um in terms of like almost losing my soul? Because I'm trying to picture like what the soul risking disasters must be in like an ad job. You know what I mean? So I'm, have been oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, well, I mean, an example would be like, um, I mean, it's like soul risking in the sense that it's like, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, <laughs> at the end of the day. Like, are you doing it because you you just want to get paid, or are you doing it because you actually enjoy the activity that you're doing? Um, I mean, I know it sounds kind of ludicrous, like the soul risking disasters in your ad job. Um, I, I don't think I think it's relevant. I think I think that's a crucial part of the human experience is what we're kind of joking well, calling the soul. You know, you have to keep. Love. I don't know. Some people call it integrity. Some people call you know like art, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I do feel guilty on one hand for driving the beast of consumerism, but I think it's, uh, it, it's really one of those don't hate the player, hate the game kind of, <laughs> kind of situation <laughs> where it's like it, there are circumstances that like exist and you, you have to do what you got to do to survive. And, you know, like, you need to make, like, make money, stay true to yourself, and you'll be fine. Like, I don't, that's how, that's how I think, at least. I mean, I try to stay real, you know what I mean? I try not to get caught up in, like, you know, like, whatever, like, the latest, like, fad is. I mean, Charlie Sheen kind of, like, sucked me up for a minute because it was kind of interesting, but, like, most of this, like, infotainment horse shit that's going on around, you know, the internet, like, you know, try to, like, stay away from that but <laughs> so how big is what what do you call do all these sites together do they have a uh do they have like a name is it like a network of sites yeah like the name of my company is essential hype essential hype okay and that's assume essential hype.com yes then, right okay so that's cool so so, the, so yeah i just i just try to uh help anybody who's doing any type of online media uh-huh I, I, it's my goal to help people profit from their passions right and while maintaining the, the integrity or the soul that we're speaking of. So how, how big is this network now? Like how many, can you talk about that? Like how many like people it, it reaches in a month, for example? Like if you like bought every ad on every one of these sites, like how many eyeballs are we talking about? Um, we're talking about roughly five to six million. Wow. Okay. That, that's worldwide. Sure, sure. Uh, that's interesting. So, are there specific world markets that you're more popular in? I assume the U.S. Well, yeah. I mean, the U.S. United States uh, advertising is the is the obviously worth worth the most. So, you know, between the U.K., Canada, and the United States, that's where most of our revenue comes from. You know, because it's kind of hard to. I don't know any companies in Singapore that need online ads, so okay. I can't really monetize those visitors. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Um. All right, man. Well, um, anything, anything going on, uh, in your personal life you want to talk about? We can get off, get off the air out at all? Um, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's, I don't know. Like, 
I, I wish I could say I like to smoke marijuana. We can talk about that. Okay. Well, let me put. I'll put it on record. I love to smoke marijuana. I'll say that first. Does yeah. that make it easier? You can. You're in a safe place, Ben. We yeah. can. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like you know, like people like, like people like come out about being gay. You know what I mean? Right. Like they have like big like I'm. Hey, everybody, I'm gay. Am I outing you as a pot smoker like, right now? I, like, Is I that mean, what's happening? I mean, kinda. I guess. Like, I don't know. Welcome, like, Ben. We've been waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> the parade is the slowest parade you've ever been to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone's got like half a costume on. All the floats look like Snickers bars. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so you smoke. You have the regular part. Let's talk about it then. So you're you're a regular weed smoker. It's a <laughs> see. Here's how I look at it. I am not addicted to pot. I am legitimately enthusiastic about pot. I really enjoy it and think it's awesome and advocate it. I think people should do it. So, yeah, I mean it's okay. So you know, I grew up in Kansas. It's a different culture than out here in California. You know, out here everybody's everyone's a patient out here. Like like first of all, for the record, like Max, I'm not a pot smoker. Okay. Of course not. I, right. I am a patient. Right, right, right. Like, right. I have I have legitimate medical need. Right. For okay, so that's for like calling this. you a pill taker without calling you a patient. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So, all right. So for your condi- which can and what was? Can you talk about the condition? I mean, it's 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 a you know because I know I, I had got generalized t- anxiety. Yeah, me too. I, I have. I've been. Having bouts of that for the last 12, 15 years. Right. You know, so. The motherfucker who interviewed me, who interviewed me, who examined me, it was the most <laughs> cursory shit. Like, this guy had a stethoscope. He didn't, he, like, over my shirt with the stethoscope. And, like, then he was like, okay, lift your arms. Okay, good. Put your arms back down. Good. All right. Uh, so, uh, what's bothering you? And then it was like, I told him the things that were bothering me. And then he was like, all right, for all those things that you listed, like for that generalized anxiety and you have a little trouble sleeping. And then maybe you're, you know, you've got, uh, oh God, what's a good one? Oh, you've got some lower back spasms. Oh, yeah. Got, you know, like, like, you know, whatever might be happening. I mean, ten- I might have tension headaches. Yeah, right. I had one of those. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, well, for your tension headache, and generalized anxiety and lower back all the things I just said he was like well then here is the prescription for the marijuana you can have for those things and uh, by the way you might want to check out the shop next door that you didn't realize was a oh that's what those green crosses every other block look like <laughs> yeah. in Los Angeles uh, well see I mean, that's the thing that doesn't I mean I know people back home are going to jail for, for weed that's fucking, that's so crazy. And then out here, out how much here, jail time is Kansas weed problems worth? Um, first offense, they can give you up to a year in jail. Oh my God. But they, they don't do that, generally speaking, unless they really want to fuck you. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absurd. Because well, you know, you know the difference here. Like here, yeah, as of, Jan- yeah, as of January 1st of this year, so the best thing Schwarzenegger did, his whole governorship, uh, is that he signed this thing that's like, it's decriminalized. It's now, if you get caught with, I, I don't quote me on this, I think it's less than an ounce, maybe yeah, it's less than an eighth. It it's an ounce yeah. of pot. It's, it's like an infraction. It's a parking ticket. It's like a hundred dollars. Yeah. When up until the December 31st, like, you could go to jail for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, 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 you know, like it's it's just an, it's just insane because 
Yeah, the thing that's really interesting is like, you know, you're talking about going and getting interviewed or I mean, ex- sorry, examined right. by, by the medical uh, official. Um, it, on, the, on the doctor's rec, it says they recommend the use of medical cannabis for the following reasons. Well, then when the, the dispensaries, it, they let you go there twice a day and they, there's no, there's really like, you can go to as many as you want in a day. Yeah, right, exactly. right. So there's no limit to it. So you could, you could. There's just, like something like 600 just in West LA or something like yeah, that. Like, yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's amazing because, um, then like, you know, when you go to the doctor and, and you, you know, you have a, uh, you broke your back or something. They give you pain medication. They don't. You don't just get to go to every pharmacy in the, in the land and get as much of it as you want, <laughs> right? You're prescribed a specific amount, right? Right. Right. So right. I mean, it's just kind All of the funny counter stuff, anyway. How everyone's like, this is like a ruse. Like I feel like the whole like medical thing is like a ruse. Well, I think it should be legal as recreational. I think I I think it should. I mean, I I think that it there's no reason it can't be like alcohol, and it's just you know don't let certain people do it. Call that a compromise and like tax the shit out of it, and like boom now. Yeah. Instead of instead of all these people buying this dirt weed from Mexico, and then <laughs> they buy thousands of guns and kill all their people with it, you know? Right. Like right. Localize that shit. Yeah. Oh man, we I, the, California has the best marijuana. But I'm putting that on record on Podberg. Uh, California has the best marijuana. Um, I've, I I lived in Amsterdam for about half a year, quarter of a year, uh, and it was good. But between the green belt of Central California, like we grow one out of every four artichokes in the United States. Like we grow more produce than fucking anybody. So you combine that with like the Northern California hippiness and the yeah. Southern California surfer dudes and shit like that over a hundred years. And it's like, boom, of course we've got the best, you know, right. oops, sorry, the most flavor of cushions fucking, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, like, is there seriously, I don't think there's a better place in the world to live than like California. Then Southern Cal- I agree completely. <laughs> I think that, I mean, today it's a little rainy. It's, if you're listening at home, it's that rainy Sunday that you probably stayed in on. Uh, I should do, I should release a show on Sundays. There should be like a, like a weekend edition of this show. Um, yeah, it, it is the best place because like our February and March has been 70 degrees outside, like a cloudless, beautiful, and it's free, man. Like you, the best parts are free. Like you, the Pacific Ocean costs nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, what, what do you, what, what, make, what makes it the best place to live for you? What do you love the most? About um, the, the weather. I mean, that's what everybody says, but I, yeah. I was, I was living in Northwest Indiana for, for two years and it's right on the edge of Lake Michigan. They just Yikes. get snow dumped on them. Yeah. And you know, and, and that's terrible. So living out here, you know, the women are great. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. The, the air is great. It's the one thing no, I mean, that, wait, I take that back. The air is not so great. The, depending on where you are. <laughs> on the I'll day. give you that. I'll give you that. The LA basin is a bit degraded air quality, but the mountains are great. And the, uh, the ocean's great, obviously. Have you been out to Catalina before? No, I haven't. It's pretty, you know, they raise, uh, bison there. They raise, like, the, the Pacific side. There's, like, they raise bison there, then ship them out to, like, Wisconsin. And, Montana and stuff like that. Fun fact. That's why you should go to Catalina. Go see the bison. I saw I my one of my good friends growing up had a bison farm that we went to. I've been to several times. Okay. 
I've actually no, I've never seen a real bison. Oh, I've eaten real bison. The bison's good. Bison is good, dude. I feel better about myself for some reason, like as if because it's funny because I like a bison more than I like a cow. So you think that would extend to I want to eat a bison less? But even though I like them better as animals, mm-hmm. I find myself patting like myself on the back food? for yeah because it's oh it's a free range. Fucking bison. Oh, there's no hormones in this bison the way there is in these cows. <laughs> oh, yeah. thanks, Trader Joe's, for letting me be awesome, you know? And then the I. Trader Joe's has bison? Dude, Trader Joe's has bison. It's, oh, it's, shit. I got this Trader Joe's a few blocks from here. I'm going to get me some bison. This apartment is sick. What if yeah. you, what if you <laughs> lived in a Trader Joe's? See, when people came in the. I used to live in Boston. That's where I went to school. And, and they had such bad weather. And I kept putting the entire Northeast in the context of like colonialism and, and like, you know, the pilgrims and shit like that. And I was like, why did people get there and stay? Like, I get that they settled and made it awesome, but there's no winter here. Like, there's not six months of the year where everyone looks the same because they have eight layers on yeah. and they're all these miserable stoic faces and you're sort of like you, you, everyone who you pass on the street has the same like look of like, we can, we're going to get through this. You yeah. Know, like, <laughs> like you don't have that here. Here it's good. No one talks to anybody. <laughs> um, I do think it's the best place to live. Uh, well, do you, where else, if you couldn't live here, where would you live? Do you have a second best? Um, I mean, I, I would like, ideally I would like to spend like, you know, do like the summers in New York, like. Winners in LA kind of thing. Nice. Like that, I think that would be a lot of fun. Nice. Um, I just bounce back and forth between New York and LA. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, the only thing, the only thing Kansas is good for for me is seeing my family, really. Like, and meth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. Right. I mean, those two things are yeah. ideal. And if you're in Kansas, try the meth. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think it's on the, the, I think it's on the license plate. Yeah. It, yeah. It is actually. It's like Kansas. Meth in a two-liter bottle, you know. Yeah, I mean, people, people like would. Uh, there's a lot of farming in Kansas, and they would. You know what? We're turning this into teach me about Kansas right no, now. Right, no. I, have, I have never been to Kansas. No, no, I'm trying to turn this into teach you about meth. Oh, 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 oh. Well, please educate me on meth. Let's do. Tell me. I, I, I'm a drug guy, but I'm not a meth guy. I still have my face. Oh, I, <laughs> your teeth. Yeah, right, right. right. I, I was just going to say that the the, the you know, Kansas is known for farming, and there's ammonia tanks, and they. Uh, the meth makers steal those tanks from people's farms. And what do that. you do with ammonia on a farm? Hmm? Fertilizer. For oh, fertilize oh, the oh, ground. So. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't. I Isn't didn't that weird? That. You're eating ammonia like in your bread and shit. Yeah, it's weird that the same shit they make meth with. You want to? Hey, it's you want our food? Yeah, it's like awesome. <laughs> hey, <laughs> the shit that's in our food is literally so fucked up. Like meth heads steal it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Makes it sound like a fucking VCR. Um, yeah, so, okay, so, um, have you had any meth experiences living in Kansas then? That, whether it's you personally or people you know? Well, or- I mean, I, I've, you know, I stay up late in general. You know, I'm, I'm a night owl kind of guy. Um, but that's when, like, the, the meth heads come out. <laughs> like they they come they come crawling out of their holes you know they go to the gas station they live in holes huh they're like moray eels like yeah seriously I mean it, it's really sad though because it, it ravages communities and all that and you but you can spot them spot a meth user from a mile away you well, know, what gives them away the emaciated look and the the teeth falling out and the you know the bug eyes and the 
you know, I gotta tell you, talking to themselves. Like everything you've mentioned so far is like made me think of zombies. Like we're in the middle of fucking nowhere, Kansas, and then all of a oh, sudden, yeah. oh, you can spot them from a mile away. It's oh, the yeah, big bug eyes meandering. It's such a problem because there's nothing to do there. People are so bored. It's like fuck it, let's smoke some meth. Wow. That's and is meth cheaper than weed? I imagine weed would solve like, that uh, problem. To- like I've never bought meth. <laughs> I, don't, right. I, I don't know what the, the meth market is like. Okay. Um, I, I've just that's kind of I've, ugly. I, I've just like read, seen the articles in the newspaper, and you know, seen you know, I, I, it's kind of like in, in you know, a town of twelve hundred people. Everyone knows who the meth head, is. the meth head, with one or two <laughs> are. So. Did you did you like living in Kansas? Or were you like I gotta get the, the? Oh no! From the time I was little, I was like, you knew something was wrong. Yeah, when exactly, you were young, exactly. So what stood out to you? Like what what did five year old Ben be like? Fuck this! Like what was like? It was like um, all all the kids in my class were cousins, and then I found out their parents were cousins. And wait, so <laughs> and so that that was when it was like you know wow. That's real? Yeah. That's... Did you live in... A, what part of Kansas did you live in? Was it a big part of it, at least? Or? Um, I mean, it was near a big part, but it was out in the middle of BFE. That's bumfuck Egypt, if those of you who don't know. Oh, I see. Yeah. Is, that a, I've never, is that an expression? Yeah, um, it's an expression for, like, rural America. Okay. Egypt. Oh, Egypt because of what's happening now in Egypt? No, 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 to- no. This was, like... This is an old phrase. Okay. Because I've heard of bumfuck nowhere, or bumfuck... Or just bumfuck... Yeah, bumfuck, same thing. Bumfuck Egypt. Yeah, some I'll try that one on. Yeah. Yeah, man. So what what else like stood out to you when you were a little kid and, and you're like Kansas sucks? Like um, what made you know that so early? Well, I just started realizing, you know, that I had there was no diversity. That was the big thing. It was it was very very uh homogenous. So I you know, I just realized that a lot of the attitudes were similar. A lot of group think goes on in Kansas. Right. And it's a very traditionalist way of living. And so go back to the cousins thing. How far back does this go? Like how um, many? I mean, it, it's like pretty bad. Fucking... It's pretty bad. Like my, my, fa- my parents weren't from there. Okay. So just for the record, sure. like, <laughs> like it's clear, I, the, clear the palette here. Like they were not cousins and I'm not cousins with myself in any shape or, or manner. Nice. Um, um congratulations. Yeah. That, I, I, Welcome I'm, back to the gene pool. I'm one of the few who right. got out of Kansas. We won't have to castrate you. Um, very traditionalist, very religious. There was one church that, 90% of the kids went to. And if you weren't in that 90%, which I wasn't, you were kind of the others. You were them. You know what I mean? It was kind of like one of those things like your parents, if your parents weren't friends with the parents from that church, then you weren't accepted. Were these, were these by chance like the mega churches, like the big, like the crazy huge ones, like the Jesus camp ones, or are these like more like standard sized churches? Um, I mean, you know, town town of two thousand people, really. Like, I mean, r- rural community included. So, there's probably fifteen hundred people who went to this church, right? But which means was big for that area. But, I mean, so that really is like the cultural center of the town was this church, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And if you weren't there, you won't you won't shit. You're, you're missing it. But I I do appreciate Kansas in an odd way. Yeah, tell um, me tell me about your appreciation of Kansas. Um, it's very it's very peaceful there. No sounds of 
there's a lot of noise here in LA, sound pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas is that, you know, it's very quiet, very open skies. Um, it's very peaceful, but a little too peaceful at times. Sure. You know what I mean? Well, there's two things you never get in Los Angeles. And one of them definitely is silence. And the other one is darkness. There's always a lot of light here, even at yeah. night too. You can see the light pollution from LA. It looks like orange glow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's a good point. That's a good, I was in, uh, bumfuck Egypt, Montana. I was in, um, Haber, Montana, uh, about 40 miles, I think, north of the Canadian border, uh, south of the Canadian border, playing Montana State Northern, and everyone was like, what are you doing there? And then, besides it just being a paid gig, like, oh my god, was it gorgeous, dude. It was this wasteland of just existential nothingness, of just, you know, like, these places that everyone kind of leaves to kind of make fun of as meth <laughs> zones, meth you know? Land. Yeah, meth land, USA, d- tend to be you know, wild, beautiful places. Yeah, good f- to visit. Yeah, good to fly over. Yeah, the flyover. If you states. like corn, there's a lot of corn in Kansas, right? There's a decent amount of corn. Um, Nebraska and Iowa are more of the corn guys. Okay. Kansas is more of the wheat state. That's our. That's what's actually on the license plate, not the math state, but the, oh, the wheat state. Interesting. Yeah. We'll give it time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> a few years, society loosens up a bit, you know. Right. So, okay, so here's a question. Did, did you have, ever have any inclinations toward art then, towards being a, a, on the content side of things? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I mean, when I was in high school, I was involved in a lot of uh, debate and forensics, a lot of speaking and... You know, I I, th- I saw public speaking and communication as a form of art. And you would you hosted MuggleNet also, right? I mean, I, I I've hosted the podcast before. Um, yeah, I, I, early on in like the first couple of years, I did I did a lot more than I, I don't really host it anymore. But yeah, it's a good time. Cool, man. So, any uh, with your vast experience, any tips for uh, for this baby podcast just taking off here? Any any like common traps to avoid? Anything like that? Um, don't talk to Fruitcast. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, just, just keep it real, Max. And you're, you're a legit dude. So I don't think you'll have a problem with that. Um, yeah. And just keep having me on the show. I think it'll be fine. Uh, you, think, you think that works? <laughs> All right. All right, man. Well, uh, Ben, good, uh, good chatting with you. I think we got it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Max. Definitely. So there it is. There it is. Episode two in the can. Podberg, ladies and gentlemen. I love that theme song. Big props to Dylan Foley. Uh, you might want want to find him uh, at uh, the Emperor Norton's Stationary Marching Band. Google that. Emperor Norton's Stationary Marching Band. He's an incredible musician. Um, that's Ben Shane. Uh, I think we covered a lot there. I think we covered a lot. Uh don't hate the player, hate the game. That's a hell of a fuck you to a lot of people. And it's ballsy, and I appreciate it. And you know what? Maybe Ben and I will will set up a little ad situation here on Podberg. And maybe with, you know, with my guidance, we can do it a combination of ethically and neurotically. Uh, if you're in Wisconsin, about 30 miles, uh, or 30 minutes, rather, west of Milwaukee, Come see me at the University of Wisconsin-Waukesha uh, today. We'll do some comedy. We'll talk about what the hell's been going on in your state. Uh, my name is Max Goldberg. This is Podberg. Uh, see you later.
Oh, and uh, go to podberg.com. Duh, if you want to find out more. www.podberg.com. How do you spell podberg? It's just like the Jew. Just spell it just like the Jew. All right, goodbye.